0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Surprise Jab Podcast. I'm your host, Zachary Ruger, surprising you with new topics every single week and jabbing you with your daily dose of UFC. You guys already know it. Episode 33, we're back after the weekend. It was an interesting weekend, an all-right weekend. I mean, the Vikings got a victory. I can't complain. UFC-wise, though, if anyone listened to my last episode, you would know I went 0-5 on my main card picks for the UFC uh, fight night between Sodic Yusuf and Edson Barbosa for the first time in my uh, UFC picking career since January of 2020. This is the first event where I didn't get at least one correct pick on the main card. It sucks. It hurts. But um, I did I did well on the uh, prelims a bit. You know, I had a couple correct picks on there. But, yeah, that one stings. That one does sting. We'll be doing a full review of UFC Vegas 81. The uh, fight night that went down this past Saturday, we'll be capping, recapping all those fights later on in the episode. Also, gonna be going over a bit of a uh, NFL Week Six. I know there's still one more game that, uh, to be played tonight when this is uploaded, so we won't be talking about that game between the Cowboys and the Chargers. But we'll be going every uh, over every other matchup that happened. So, like the Vikings game, which I was super pumped about. Gonna do a little um, MLB playoff check in briefly, talk about the, the Logan Paul, Dylan Dennis, KSI boxing fights, and uh, get to a surprise topic later. And as always, other um, sorts of uh, stuff along the way. It's the Surprise Jab Podcast. We surprise you with things. But yeah, pretty good weekend. Um, got to see my family, got to see my girlfriend, got to go back home for a bit, got to come back down here to Mankato, live it up, doing my thing. You know how it be. But yes. Um, actually, a touching point, I will say, before I get into some real UFC uh, news, is that UFC 5, U- UFC EA Sports 5, is actually coming out in 10 days, next Thursday, October 26th, and they've recently started releasing the top five fighters for each uh, weight class for the video game, and they released women's bantamweight, men's bantamweight, and men's featherweight today. And let me just read you guys the top five fighters from each weight class. Mind you, mind you, there are no new fighters announced yet. These are all old fighters, and I, I don't understand. We'll start with women's bantamweight, the least exciting division with the number five highest-ranked women's bantamweight. At a, they're using a star ranking this year, so out of, like, five stars, that's how much your fighters. I wish they would do overalls. That's much better. But at number five is Misha Tate, a four-star, and I mean Misha Tate is—I have no idea— why Misha Tate is in the top five. I mean, she's not even, is she even ranked in women's band to weight? Misha Tate is ranked number 12. I'm pretty sure she's on a losing streak as well. So that's ridiculous. Number uh, four, Juliana Pena, former title challenger. Fought a man twice. Hasn't fought in over a year. She's actually not going to get a fight in this year. She's currently the number one contender. But yeah, she hasn't fought in a while. She's a four and a half star fighter. Um, just kind of goofy. Holly Holmes, a four and a half star fighter as well. She's the number five ranked. Women's Band weight, which doesn't make sense to me since she was just finished in round two in this year. Number two is Valentina Shevchenko at four and a half in a weight class she doesn't fight in. And number one at a five-star fighter is Amanda Nunes. I like the Amanda Nunes one, even though she's retired and we aren't going to get to see her fight, I guess. You have to put her in the game. At Men's Band weight, number five is Murab Duevichelli, who's a four-and-a-half star fighter. I mean, I would hope Marab is good. I mean, he's the number two contender in the men's bantamweight division. Above him is Marlon Vera at a four and a half star fighter, which makes no sense whatsoever. Marlon Vera is actually ranked below Marab at six in the bantamweight rankings. Number three is Corey Sanhagen as a four and a half star fighter as well at the number four spot on the men's bantamweight rankings. I suppose I like it. Number two, Aljamain Sterling and number one, Sean O'Malley. I mean, I don't understand why Henry Cejudo isn't up there. He's definitely better than a at least Marlon Vera and probably Corey Sandhagen, I I'm perplexed by that. But yeah, Sean O'Malley the number one men's bantamweight in the rankings, wise. And um, last weight class they announced today, which was Monday October what is October sixteenth? They had men's featherweight number five is Jose Aldo at a four and a half star fighter. Um, he's a legend, but I mean not in the UFC anymore. And number four is Iato Pura. I love it. He's the number five contender, probably fighting for the belt next. Good to see him up there. Number three is Conor McGregor. Throwback to his featherweight days. I don't want to see a throwback McGregor. I want to play as the current McGregor. Number two is Max Holloway at a four-and-a-half star fighter. Number one contender, beating everybody but Alexander Volkanovsky. Such a good guy. Um, love his uh, star rating. I'd probably make him a five-star fighter, honestly. But um, the number one fighter, obviously, is Alexander Volkanovsky, your current featherweight champion at a five-star fighter. And he's fighting this weekend, which is going to be super exciting. Yeah, I'll be. I, I just want to see new fighters introduced. That's all I want to see. I could honestly care less about anything else. I will, um, I will say I will probably be g- playing way too much of that Thursday night into Friday before Halloween weekend begins. But I mean, it's all in good spirit. It's all fun, you know how it be. Um, but yeah, UFC 5 comes out in 10 days. Very exciting. I was trying to think if any big fight announcements occurred while um, we took a break from this podcast to the next. And honestly, yes, I'm checking. I mean, nothing huge. They actually announced, comically, a women's bantamweight matchup for uh, the first event of uh, 2020 th- 2024, wow, between uh, number um number 9-ranked Macy Chasson in the women's bantamweight division and number four-ranked Ketlin Vieira, I could care less about that fight. My main goal right now is UFC 294, which is going to be great. I can't wait to cover that. We'll be doing a full card breakdown of UFC 294 um, Thursday for our next episode. That's going to be a super fun one. I'm super pumped for that. Speaking uh, outside of the not speaking of, outside of the UFC octagon in the boxing ring, Jake Paul actually announced today that he'll be fighting December 15th not against uh, who he's fighting, but just that he's going to be fighting. I find that pretty fascinating, you know, right after his brother fights, he's getting back after it. But I mean, Hey, good for you, man. Good for you. I, uh, I, I don't know if I I I'm not going to be buying any fights that any of them do. They are just, they're just too cool. They're just the whole boxing, YouTuber boxing or whatever. It's all just Mm -hmm. such a joke. It's, I don't know what to make of it, but um, I don't know who he's going to fight. Maybe he'll fight KSI. Maybe he'll fight Mike Perry. Who knows what Jake Paul's going to do? I could honestly care less. Um, actually, um, we'll actually talk about that next. Yeah, so speaking of KSI, Logan Paul, everything that's going on, they Misfits Boxing, which is this promotion KSI. He works with Dizone. Dizone is this uh, boxing um, channel of sorts, like you know like ABC, NBC. Yeah, DAZN. D-A-Z-N. They're, uh, they show boxing events, stuff like that. And they had a card this weekend between KSI and Tommy Fury, younger brother of Tyson Fury, one of the greatest boxing heavyweights of all time. And Logan Paul took on Dylan Danis. Dylan Danis, a jujitsu master who's just an internet troll. And I'm, I caught a bit of the Logan Paul-Dylan Danis fight. I watched it and uh, I did not watch the main event though. I, I think I was driving home or something, but Logan Paul, Dylan Dennis, an absolute mess. I mean, Dylan Dennis was disqualified in the final round of the fight for um, basically just going for jiu-jitsu moves. Uh, The security guards rushed the ring. It was an absolute joke. I just do not understand anything that was going on. Logan Paul beat him pretty much every round. I mean, yeah, just just a mess, just an absolute mess. Um, But yeah, Logan Paul wins, just did not need to happen. Do not run this back. They, Dylan Dan said he wanted to do it in the UFC ring. The ring, octagon. He said he wanted to do it in MMA. Do not make that happen. That will not happen. Just, just a joke. Let's move on from that. Uh, the main event, Tommy Fury and KSI. This was a very interesting fight from what I've heard. As the verdict scorecard, which is what I use, verdict scorecard is an app, Verdict MMA app. Love this app. Would love if it would sponsor me. I would definitely plug it every single podcast. And you can basically pick, bet on live rounds um, for money, not for money. You can make your predictions, look at other people's picks, read articles and stuff. Super good for MMA fans. I encourage everyone to use it. But the final totals for um, the Verdict scorecard for the KSI Tommy Fury fight was pretty much um, four rounds... It was a, what was this, an eight-round fight? It was a six-round fight between KSI and Tommy Fury. Four rounds were to KSI on here. Two rounds were tie. Final scorecard after a point deduction, actually, from Tommy Fury was 58 to 55. So, KSI clearly won, but in um, uh, Tommy Fury won a majority decision in the um Real world. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't know how to phrase that, but yeah, Tommy Fury wins. He remains undefeated. Certainly not good for his image. I don't think his family should let him fight. He's not as good of a boxer as he apparently lost to KSI. But uh, you know what? I've I've watched KSI for so many years. You know, good for him getting in the octagon. I hope he can rebound. I don't doubt that he uh, will be able to rebound. But yes, yeah, just kind of a mess overall. Um, and uh, they just keep. It was a big plug for Prime, the energy drink to drink. I will not be drinking Prime. I've had it before and I heard it was unhealthy. So I stopped drinking it. Um, Speaking of companies, actually, you know, we're just feeding off of each other through everything. You can follow my company, uh, ever growing co on Instagram and on Facebook. We have a TikTok, but I'm yet to find any ideas of what to do. It's for um, my integrated business experience here at Minnesota State Mankato. Uh, super fun. We uh, sell sweatshirts. You know, every, all proceeds go proceeds go to charity. They go to this place called uh, Mankato Youth Place. It helps kids after school who are kind of the families are a bit troubled. They face some circumstances. The money just goes towards giving these kids after school care, a meal, a way to get home lovely charity and yeah you can even get a sweatshirt out of it you know you buy a sweatshirt we'll uh, donate all that to a uh, charity and we'll even throw a sticker in there for you i think our stock actually comes in this week but yeah i'm the i'm the marketing director no i'm actually like third or fourth in command in the marketing department i feel like i do i do all the social media you know i suppose i should ask for some help but i feel like i try and indirectly ask and everyone just assumes i got it covered then they'll be like, oh, why didn't you post? And I'll be like, well, maybe because no one's helping me, which may make it seem like I don't like anyone in the company. No, I love my, uh, I love my company. I love my class. It actually, uh, I actually enjoy going to classes when I have them, which is super rare in college that you actually enjoy going to a class. But yeah, this has been amazing. I encourage uh, any students, if you have like an IBE program at your college, get on that, do it super good. It teaches you a lot. It really does teach you a lot about the business world of things. But yes, check us out on social media. And follow me on social media. You can find me all over the place. I'll respond to you if you want to. In the world of trending sports, we, um, of course, have the MLB playoffs. We do a little check-in with every episode we do. I guess it's, it's not that often. I mean, we'll be checking twice a week or something. But yes, um, my Minnesota Twins. I'd say my Minnesota Twins. Like, I watch baseball. I don't. But they're my home team, so I root for them. They got out in the uh, second round against the Houston Astros, and the Houston Astros are actually playing the Texas Rangers to go to the World Series. They trailed out. They lost game one, so Rangers are up 1-0. Will the Texas Rangers advance? Maybe. I'm picking the Astros to win that series, though, and I believe the Arizona Diamondbacks and the Philadelphia Phillies will be playing um, tonight or today, whenever that goes down. But um, I'm probably going with the Diamondbacks for that. They upset the Brewers. They upset the Dodgers. And here they are, taking on the Phillies. I don't really know anyone. I know Jose Altuve of the Houston Astros, Texas Rangers, can name a player. Is Bryce Harper on the Phillies? I have no idea. Diamondbacks. I remember there was this one pitcher maybe. His last name was like Gold something. I I don't know anything about baseball. You know, It's not even really a check-in. It's just me reading off everything that's happened. But, yeah, good luck to all the teams. I mean, Rangers are a five seed. Houston's a two. So number one seed not making it. Same thing goes for the uh, NLCS. Philadelphia was a fourth seed. Diamondbacks were a sixth seed. So, yeah, it's pretty incredible. A fourth, a six, a five, and a two. Oh, yeah. Astros looking to repeat. Uh, I'm going to ride with them. So We'll say Astros, Diamondbacks as of right now, and the Astros should beat the Diamondbacks. And this comes from someone with no knowledge of baseball whatsoever. So, I mean, take that with a grain of salt, if you will. That's the same, right? Take it with a grain of salt. Take it take it like that or something. Beats me. I have no idea how that statement goes. But anyways, moving on from baseball, which, you know, sorry to baseball fans. I just don't think baseball is that interesting. I find it kind of boring. But, I mean, who who am I to say? I watch fighting, you know, which is actually more fun in my opinion. But let's get into one of the uh, big things we talk about every week. Um, actually, every week just for the season, and that is the NFL. The NFL week six went down. Um, there's still one more game, as I mentioned, but it's been a pretty good. It was a pretty good weekend. Um, I think I went four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I went nine and five on my picks. If the Chargers win tonight, I will have 10 correct picks. But um, I actually won with my friends in like our little weekly thing. Me and my two of my buddies, we do for weekly pickums. So I won my money in that. But then I lost in my uh, family league with my parents and my girl. And yeah, and so that's what I want to win. And even though there's nothing on the line, something about winning for pride that just feels so good. Good, but let's recap all the games that went down and uh, go over some top fantasy performers and see what happened. We kicked it off Thursday with the Broncos and the Chiefs. The Chiefs won 19-8 in this divisional matchup. Chiefs are now sitting at 5-1. and one. Broncos at 1-5. Chiefs now have a three-game edge over the Chargers. And as for the Broncos, they are the second-to-worst team in the league, tied with the Patriots. Giants, Bears, and Cardinals for second-worst team in the league. Panthers, 0-6. We'll get to them in a bit. But, yeah, such a sloppy game. I mean, Travis Kelsey got 21.4 points. He got nine catches for 124 yards. He was getting it done. The only Chiefs wide receiver to catch a touchdown was Kadarius Toney. Patrick Mahomes threw for 306 yards. Not much going on. I mean, I know Harrison Butker, the kicker, had 18 points. He was kicking some bombs, so good for him. Broncos, now nothing good to say about them. Russell Wilson, 13 for 22, 95 yards the whole game, only 95 yards passing. One touchdown, two interceptions. His one touchdown was to Cortland Sutton, who was on my bench, which is unfortunate. But I'm in four leagues, so who can I say? Javante Williams led rushing with 52 yards. Pretty brutal game for the Broncos. Definitely one of the worst teams in the league. Let me actually double check what their points for to points against is because I think it's the league worst. Yes, they've given up 200 points. Yikes, that is very bad. But their are points for, I will say. They actually have more points for than the Raiders and Chargers with 129 compared to 100 and 110. So the offense isn't doing too bad, but the defense, worst defense in the league possibly. I mean, the Panthers are 0-6. So, but Anyways, we'll move on from that. The Chiefs. Broncos. Who do they play next week? Week 7 Chiefs are uh no, they don't have a bye sadly. The Chiefs will be playing the Chargers. That should be a shootout and Broncos play the Packers. Oh, winnable games for both of those teams. Good luck to both of them. But yeah, Chiefs looking dominant. They're tied for first in the AFC. Actually, they might be the single leader in the AFC. Nope, Dolphins are 5 and 1 as well. That's what I thought. Head into our 12 o'clock games on Sunday. We kicked it off with the Ravens and the Titans, which actually wasn't at 12. Now that I'm thinking as this game was in London, I think it was in London. It was at 830 for some reason. Bronco, I mean, the Ravens beat the Titans 24 to 16. Ravens improved to four and two leaders of the AFC North Titans. Now the bottom of the AFC South at two and four. Not a beautiful game for the Ravens at all. Justin Tucker's their leader in fantasy with 19 fantasy points. Um, Leader for the Titans was Derrick Henry. He was actually on my bench in my six-man All-Star League, but all my other running backs outscored him, so it worked out. Derrick Henry rushes for 97 yards and a touchdown and had two catches for 16 yards. Ryan Tannehill putting up 76 yards on eight attempts. I mean, eight completions, 60 attempts for an interception. Malik Willis actually came in, and on four passes, Almost matched Ryan Tannehill's full game numbers with 74 yards. Yeah, Titans are just hit or miss every week. Ravens, you know they're four and two. You know they they have 133 points for 91 points against. They're coming off a loss last week, but Lamar Jackson's not putting up MVP numbers. I heard one person I know was saying he's going to be MVP this year. Absolutely not. He's not even in the race. 223 yards, a touchdown and a pick, rushed for 62 yards. Just nothing much from him. Um, uh, Mark Andrews, four receptions for 69 yards, leading uh, the yardage. But it's actually Zay Flowers, the rookie, six catches for 50 yards and a touchdown that is the uh, top, uh, what do you say, wide receiver, top other fantasy performer with 17 points. But, yes, Titans. Gosh, Titans, I don't even know what to say for you guys. You guys are just in a rough spot. They're going into a bye next week, though. Good for them. As for the Ravens, back at it against the Lions next week. Schedule ain't easy for the uh, Ravens whatsoever. Titans, I have nothing good to say. The Titans always seem to suck. I'll be honest. This team is just always so goofy. Next up, what matchup did we have? We had the Commanders and Falcons. Now we're in the noon games, which actually had the same ending score. As the Ravens and Titans game 24 to 16 as the Commanders get a victory. They impressed me. I did not think they were gonna win, uh, especially after losing to Chicago, but now they're three and three. Points four to points against is still brutal, 133 compared to 176. But they etch out the victory. Gotta love it. Falcons also three and three now. Uh but Sam Howell, 18 fancy points, doing his thing, threw for three touchdowns, uh, 151 yards. Not a lot of yards, but I mean throwing for three touchdowns. That's impressive. Caught by Curtis Samuel, Brian Robinson Jr. and Antonio Gibson, but it's Terry McLaurin with six catches for 81 yards that leads the day. Nothing really much in the running department. Brian Robinson, 10 attempts, 31 yards, nothing much. Falcons. Let me just say, Desmond Ritter is sloppy. Desmond Ritter is a sloppy QB. 28 for 47, 307 yards, two touchdowns, three picks, a three-pick game. Is never pretty. Allegier actually outrushes Bijan 51 to 37. Bijan did have uh, five catches for 43 yards though. But Strake London, nine catches, 125 yards, putting up good uh putting up good stuff for the Falcons, 21.5 fantasy points for him. You love to see it. And I certainly love to uh, see it from him. I don't have anyone in fantasy on these teams. I could start Terry McLaurin in my six man all-star league. But I just have better wide receivers in that league, so I, I just don't really see a point in doing that personally. But hey, um, injuries could pop up. Was, that's the word I was trying to think of. Injuries, stuff could happen. But yeah, Commanders, Falcons, both three and three, both average teams, could potentially, if seeing how the rest of the season goes, sneak into a wild card spot. But I, I just I don't know. Falcons play the Bucks next week. That's a winnable game. Commanders play the Giants. I just have a feeling they're not going to win that game. I just have a feeling the Giants are going to get a win. They have to get a win. The Giants have to win at some point, right? Um, I don't know. But NFL Week 6 rolling along into our next matchup where we had the Seahawks and the Bengals. Ooh, this was one of the closer games for the week. One of those games that comes down to the final play of the game. But the Bengals sneak out with a victory 17-13. Sad for Seahawks fans. Seahawks, though, um, second now in the NFC West, 3-2. and two. They have a positive points four to points against. But, man, good win for the Bengals. Don't look now. I mean, the Bengals, now on a little two-game win streak, 3-3. Three and three. Could definitely climb their way back to the top of the AFC North. Currently at the bottom, but they should be able to rally. Uh, Kenneth Walker doing his thing fantasy-wise, 17.9 points. T. Lockett had 15 Jamar only 14 fantasy points. Tyler Boyd actually had more with 16.8. Seattle, I mean, Geno Smith, rough game, 323 yards and two picks. Kenneth Walker, though, 62 yards rushing, a touchdown. T-Lockett caught six passes for 94 yards. Not a bad game, but, man, let me just tell you, Jamar, six catches, 80 yards. Tyler Boyd, seven catches, 38 yards, one touchdown. When it comes down to the end of the game, it was just not enough. Bengals are able to come up big in the defensive department beat the Seahawks and I feel good for them because Bengals they're supposed to be one of the top teams this year nowhere near a top team in the AFC North right now I mean if we go through there I mean there's one two three four five there's like multiple teams ahead of them could still make the playoffs I, they probably will probably just some early season jitters from them and uh, they get a bye week next week which is much needed as for Seahawks they get a divisional matchup against the Cardinals so a winnable game there for the Seahawks if they want to bounce back who knows obviously they do another divisional matchup that went down was the Jaguars and the Colts with the Jaguars winning 37 to 20 oh my goodness Jaguars leaders of the AFC South Four and two got a plus twenty points for to points against ratio, three game win streak. They are looking good. Colts three and three only minus twelve in the points for to points against. They're not too bad. Jaguars were just better in this one. Travis Etienne drops twenty three point three fantasy points, fifty five yards rushing for two touchdowns. Actually scored two touchdowns in sixteen seconds. It was absolutely crazy. Got one. Defense came up big. Got the ball right back and he rushed it back in. It was awesome. And he caught three passes for 28 yards. He was getting it done. Do guy give some credit to a Brandon McManus, 17 fantasy points for the Jaguars kicker. He was doing it. Trevor Lawrence, 181 yards, two touchdowns, and a pick. Need some more for him. He's one of my fantasy quarterbacks. I don't know if I should bench him or what I should do with him, but he needs to step it up. Colts, Gardner Minshew throws three picks, gets a tutty, 329 yards. Turnovers were killing them. Zach Moss, 21 yards rushing for a touchdown. Caught six balls for 38 yards. Michael Pittman, though, nine catches, 109 yards, 19.9 fantasy points. Doing his thing. And you know what? Joshua Downs called some rookie. I don't know if Joshua Downs is a rookie. I can't recall, but he's new to the team. Five catches, 21 yards, and a touchdown. So good for him. Happy for you, Joshua Downs. I don't know too much about you, though, so I can't really say anything. Jaguars next week. Who they matching up with? Because obviously we're going to be giving picks. Oh, they have a Thursday night football game against the Saints. Quick turnaround for the Jags and the Colts take on the Browns. Ooh, we'll get to the Browns in a minute. Oh, my gosh. exciting team there. be yeah, good win for the Jags plus 17. 17-point 17 victory. Good for you guys. Hey, 4-2. Not too shabby. Next up, Panthers and Dolphins. And honestly, it was looking kind of interesting. Panthers went up 14-rip. Adam Thielen having a huge game, 28.5 fantasy points. He caught 11 passes for 115 yards and a touchdown. Bryce Young, 217 yards and a touchdown. Okay game, Chubba Hubbard, 88 yards rushing for a touchdown, was doing his thing. But man, after going down 14-0, Miami said nope and scored four straight touchdowns. Scratch that. They scored five, six total for the game. Miami Dolphins are an absolute unit. My goodness, this is one of the best offenses in the league. Problem? no, I scratched that. This is the best offense in the league. The Miami Dolphins have the best offense in the league. They're now five and one league best, 223 points four. They do have 156 points against, but that 223 points makes up for it. As for the Panthers, 0-6. 0-6. Oh my goodness. Minus 64 points four to points against ratio. This is the worst team in the league, but I don't think they're going to end as the worst team in the league. This team just needs to get a win. That's all they need to do. They get a win. They'll get some confidence back. Let me read you off the stat sheet for this. Oh, my gosh. For this Dolphins team. First off, Raheem Mostert. Oh, my goodness. Just, I love this man. 34.2 fantasy points. Tyreek Hill, I also love. 28.3 fantasy points. Incredible performances from both of them. Two with throws for 262 yards and three touchdowns. Raheem Mostert rushes for 115 yards and two touchdowns and caught three passes for 17 yards and a touchdown. Um, what's his name? Shahid Ahmed? Shahid whatever, Ahmed. Rookie running back, whatever. Running back they scooped up when Achani got hurt. He rushed in for a touchdown. Tyreek Hill, six catches, 163 yards. This is the best wide receiver in the league. Tyreek Hill is so talented, caught a touchdown. Giving it a little backflip with someone's camera. Jalen Waddell, not too bad. Seven catches, fifty-one yards, a touchdown. This team is looking pretty good. Pretty freaking good. They're definitely gonna be contending. I know they have a matchup with the Chiefs at some point, but as for now, keep it rolling, Miami. My goodness. My goodness. I mean Panthers, they get a bye next week. They get to assess things. Dolphins, they keep it rolling, man. Dolphins do not stop. Okay, next weekend. Big matchup. Against the Eagles, Monday, um, Sunday Night Football, oh my gosh, in the primetime spot. Dolphins and Eagles, that should be a huge, huge barn burner. But yeah, Miami doubles the Panthers' points, but the Panthers, they like 14-0. All right? They start at 14-0, so if they can just start good and keep that going, they could do well. Also for the Dolphins, though, got to be careful how many points you give up. Let's get into the game that I watched in full. I was so happed, happed. I was so happed. I was so happy. We did it. We're two and four. The Minnesota Vikings beat the Chicago Bears, nineteen to thirteen. It was sloppy. Okay, I'll admit it. It was a brutally sloppy game. It was bad. Okay, but we got it done. We pulled it out. Thanks to our defense. Twenty two points from our defense. Got a little touchdown. Shout out to you, Jordan Hicks. Love you. Jordan Asin caught Tutty from Kirk Cousins. Kirk, one hundred eighty one yards and a touchdown. Um, Jordan Addison three catches twenty eight yards and touchdown. T.J. Hawkinson was our leading wide receiver six catches fifty yards. um Yeah, nothing much offensively. It was more of our defense. I mean, Justin Fields fifty eight yards and a pick got hurt. Who knows if he'll even play next week? The backup Tyler Bagent came in eighty three yards a fumble and a pick absolutely brutal. Deontay Foreman though did rush for sixty five yards. Good for you Chicago. D.J. Moore five catches fifty one yards. But, yeah, we absolutely stuffed them. My goodness, defense came up massively in this game. Leading Bears, um, Liam Blair's fantasy player, you want to guess? The defense, 11 points. So, actually, 11 points from the Chicago Bears defense. Not too bad. DJ Moore had 10. Cairo Santos, 9 points. He he he, he honestly did everything. He did everything for them. Maybe, like, Zach, I mean, 13 points. Who who got a touchdown? Tyler Brighett punched in a lame touchdown for no reason at the end. So, Vikings, get it done. Happy for us. Um, Gosh, it's been a rough season, guys. We lost Justin Jefferson. He's gonna be out a while. Um, Everyone's hating on us. Two and four. We're getting mocked. We're only minus six though in the points for to points against. We're two and four. Uh, If the Packers lose next week and we win, we could pass them. And I don't think the wild card is out of our uh, zone. Okay, I truly feel we can do this. And we got worse teams below us, like the Bears, who are just atrocious at one and five. Oh, my gosh. That's just terrible. Bears next week. They get to face the Raiders, which isn't isn't too bad of a team, honestly. It's a winnable game. As for the Vikings, we get to play the 49ers at home, coming off of a loss. My goodness. That is going to be a tough one. But Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins can do this. Oh, man. I root for the Vikings every single week. They're my team. And you know, you know what? It was good to get a win this week. I don't know how next week's going to hold, but I stay hopeful. Speaking of the 49ers, let's talk about their game next. 49ers undefeated 5-0. and Lose to the Cleveland Browns, 19-17. to The boo, do I say it's the biggest upset of the week? I think it's a bigger, uh, yep. I'm going to say, uh, I don't know, guys. I actually don't know what to say. There were two huge upsets. I'm going to say this is actually tied for the biggest upset of the week. So yes, this is tied for biggest upset of the week as the Browns snap the 49ers undefeated season at five and one 49ers are still five and one, two games ahead of the Seahawks, but yeah, tough loss for them. And this is a great defense. They've only given up 87 points this season, but guess what? The Cleveland Browns who are now three and two, they've only given up 77 points this season. The best defense in the league gets it done. My goodness. First off, Chris McCaffrey, leading fantasy performer, 14-2, four to forty for the 49ers, 11 rushes, 43 yards, caught three catches for uh, nine yards and a touchdown, hurts his oblique. My goodness, Chris McCaffrey could be injured, could be out. It's not even the worst of it, guys. Debo Samuel, also injured in this game, and he's for sure going to be out next week from what I've heard. Just a tough going. Brock Purdy having the worst, career, worst performance of his career, 125 yards, a touchdown, and a pick. It was absolutely terrible. Right now, you go four catches, 76 yards, got a lot of targets. He was doing his best, but man, it's the Cleveland freaking Browns who snap him. Wow. Uh, P.J. Walker, 192 yards and two picks, gets it done at QB. Terrible performance, I'll say. Drone Ford, 84 yards, uh, rushing. And it's actually a jer- Kareem Hunt was <laughs> the only player to score. Shout out to Dustin Hopkins with 16 fantasy points. The only good thing about this Cleveland Browns team. All right, Cooper, though, 14.8 points. I'll give him his credit. Four catches, 108 yards. Only good wide receiver in this game. But, yeah, so it came down to the end. 49ers let the Browns score. All right. or right. I'm trying to remember what happened. Oh, the Browns were down. They came back. It was 17 16. They kicked a field goal to uh, take the lead by two. And then Jay Moody, the kicker for the 49ers, misses a 40 yard attempt or something like that 45 yard attempt to win the game. Absolute scenes. The Cleveland Browns beat the 49ers. I cannot believe that. Second biggest upset, eh, tied for biggest upset of the week. Just, oh my gosh, just incredible. Browns next week, they'll be keeping their momentum rolling as they will be taking on the Colts, so which honestly, I don't know. They might be able to do it. As for 49ers, I mentioned they take on my Vikings. Oh, my goodness. Such a huge upset. It was crazy. Oh, man. Good for you, Cleveland Browns fans. It's the only time you are going to be celebrating all season. You're not that good of a team. But, yeah, we'll get to the um, – Oh, man, I have no idea. There are two huge upsets this week. Oh, man. Next up, we had the Saints and the Texans. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Just, we we go from a barn burner like the browns 49ers to the texans and the saints. yes, the texans. Texans now 3 and 3 after beating the saints 20 to 13. Actually have a positive points for to points against. How about that texans already got 3 wins this season. As for saints after destroying the patriots, they then lose to the texans. This team is 3 and 3. They do have a positive points for to points against, but I don't know what much more to say. Rasheed best fantasy performer with 18.3 fantasy points. Amon um, Kamara had 17 fantasy points. Only well, for the Texans, Dalton Schultz, 16 fantasy points. E.J. Stroud, 14 fantasy points. Nothing much there. Derek Carr, 353 yards, a touchdown and interception. Saints uh, QB. Amon um, Kamara rushed for 68 yards. Um, Chris Olave, seven catches, 96 yards. He did good. You know, Rasheed got the only touchdown of the game for the Saints. As for the Texans, C.J. Stroud, 199 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Devin Singletary outrushed Damian Pierce. I have no idea what to say about that. And Nico Collins, four catches, 80 yards. Dalton Schultz, four catches, 61 yards and a touchdown. But the day, Robert Woods, only catch of the game, a six-yard touchdown. So good for him. Yeah, pretty, pretty stellar game from what I caught of it. Texans have a bye next week. Saints get to take on the Jaguars on Thursday night football. I don't know how that's going to go, but... Man, good for the Texans. I'm happy for you. Getting into the 330 slate, Raiders beat the Patriots 21-17. to Good win for the Raiders. And, I mean, Raiders are on a little win streak now, aren't they, if I'm doing my math correctly? Yes, Raiders on a two-game winning streak. They're now 3-3 three three despite having a minus. Points, four points against minus 31. Oof. Um, Patriots, absolutely terrible. 1-5 have only scored 72 points this season. The worst offense in the league. They're on a three-game losing streak. They've given up 152 points. This team is in shambles. Only good thing about this team is Kendrick Bourne. That's all I'll say. Kendrick Bourne, 10 catches, 89 yards. Andre Stevenson and Ezekiel Elliott both punch in the only touchdowns of the game for the Patriots. Mac Jones, 200 yards and a pick. It's time to move on from Mac. I'm sorry, Mac. It's time. Raiders, Jimmy Garoppolo, 162 yards, a touchdown and interception. Gets hurt as Hoyer comes in. So He was number seven or something. No idea who he was. He had 102 yards passing. Josh Jacobs rushed for 77 yards. It's actually the tight end, Meyer, caught five catchers for 75 yards. Who did good? Devontae Adams, only two catches, 29 yards, not getting targeted a lot. It's Jacoby Myers for five catches, 61 yards, and a touchdown. Who actually outscores Devonte Adams in the fantasy department? I don't know what's going on, man. Devonte Adams, one of if not the most talented wide receivers in the league, just is not getting the targets he needs to. Really not helping this Raiders team. But you know what? They're um they uh do they have a bye next week? No. The Raiders take on the Bears. They could go into they could have a four game win streak. I mean a three game win streak after this. That's what Patriots. They take on the Bills. Oh my goodness! Patriots could be getting Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams, the USC quarterback, who's probably going with the number one pick next year. Oh my goodness! Are we almost there? We're almost there. Other three thirty game: Lions beat the Buccaneers twenty to six. And this game was a lot closer than uh, the fourteen point victory may sound for this Lions team. Buccaneers had so many chances. They had so many chances to tie this game. Oh, my gosh. They just blew every one of them. Lions 5-1, tied for first in the NFC, top of the NFC North by three games. This team is looking good. David Montgomery suffering an injury, really hurt my fantasy team. But you know what? It's a mon St. Brown. 30 fantasy points having a day. Jared Goff at 22. Man, good job for them. Buccaneers, Chris Godwin, leading fantasy form with 13.7 points. Jergoff throws for two, 353 yards. Wow. Two touchdowns. Nothing in the rushing department. I mean, did they, I don't even know if they broke 40 yards rushing. Monroe St. Brown had 12 catches, 124 yards and a touchdown. Um, Jamison Williams, two catches, 53 yards and a touchdown. Sam LaPorta, four catches, 36 yards. As for the Baker Bucks, Baker Mayfield Bucks, Baker, 206 yards and a pick. Not getting it done. Rashad White only rushed for 26 yards. Mike Evans, only four catches, 49 yards. This team is brutal, man. Team is brutal for the Buccaneers. Three and two, though, still ahead of the NFC South. That's how bad the NFC South is. Everyone in the NFC South is now on a losing streak. Let me just remind you that. They're all, Buccaneers, Falcons, Saints, and Panthers. All lost their last game. Worst division in the league, potentially. Next weekend, though, I mean, the. Um, do see do the lions get a bye? No, Lions and Buccaneers still keeping it going. Bucks take on the Falcons at home. That's a winnable game for them. Lions take on the Ravens. That should be an interesting test. See how they handle Lamar Jackson. But yeah, good win for the Lions. At this point, I can ju- I I'm just going to be happy for Lions fans, right? You guys got a good team better than the Vikings. I'll I'll, I'll accept it. Divisional matchup. Uh, in this one between the Rams and Cardinals, Rams win twenty six to nine. This the Cardinals defense had no answer for this Rams offense. Matt Prater, leading fantasy performer for the Cardinals with eleven points, just not that. Joshua Dobbs, two hundred thirty five yards and a pick. Um, gosh, I don't even Ingram, Mark Ingram, who <laughs> ten rushes, forty yards, led the Cardinals. Oh my gosh, this team only got three field goals. Terrible stuff. Well, we'll give credit to the Rams. Matthew Stafford, 226 yards and a touchdown. All right. Kyrene Williams rushed for 158 yards and a touchdown. Cooper Cup, 148 yards on seven catches for a touchdown. Paku Nakua, four catches, 26 yards. Not doing too much. It was pretty much the Cup, Kyrene, and Stafford show. Good win for this Rams team. Rams now in third place in the AFC West at three and three. Positive points, four points against. Cardinals, one and five. Absolutely terrible absolutely terrible they've given up 62 points against them only 117 points for their own three game losing streak oh man i don't know what to say about this cardinals team nothing good to say about them uh they play the uh seahawks next week should lose that one rams play the steelers though winnable game for them winnable game but yeah cardinals pretty bad rams you know i think the rams could make the wild card maybe you know this offense is pretty good cooper cups getting back in the rhythm. We'll see, how it, we'll see how it goes. And now we're into my favorite matchup of the week. Oh, my gosh. I was so excited for this one. The Jets beat the Eagles 20-14. to I do somewhat feel this is bigger than the Browns beating the 49ers. For some reason, the Jets beating the Eagles just feels bigger. A huge, crazy upset. Eagles, okay, 5-1. and one. Still have a positive. points Four points against 30. L- tied for first in the NFC. But, oh, my gosh, what an upset by the Jets. Jets now 3-3. Three and three. Oh, my goodness. Third in the NFC, AFC East, but oh, man. What an upset, guys. Philly just could not do anything at the end. The Jets' defense comes up big. This defense went crazy. My goodness, Jalen Hurts throws three picks. Three picks. You know, he did pass for a touchdown to uh, DeAndre Swift. Uh, A.J. Brown, seven catches, 131 yards, did all right. Uh, Rushed for a touchdown, 47 yards rushing as well. You know, it's his Jets team. Zach Wilson didn't throw a pick. 186 yards for the day. Brees Hall ran for 39 yards and a touchdown. Um, and Garrett Wilson caught eight balls for 90 yards. Good for him. But, I mean, wow, what an upset. Jets getting it done over the undefeated Eagles. Undefeated no more, I should say. Undefeated no more. Excellent win for the New York Jets. You got to root for them, man. You really got to root for them. after losing to Aaron Rodgers. I kind of want that Cinderella story. He comes back in the playoffs, leads them to a Super Bowl. I don't know if they ran them like that in real life, but I sure wish they do. Jets taking this huge upset into a bye week. As for the Eagles, no sleep for them. They take on the Dolphins at home on Sunday Night Football next week. And I honestly favor the Dolphins as an early prediction for that one. Good job to the Jets. And we'll be brief about that Sunday Night Football game between the Bills and Giants that went down last yesterday. Last night, I should say. Bills win 14 to 9. It is just, ugh, it was a gross win. Very bland. Stephon Diggs had 20 fantasy points, was the only good part of that game. Josh Allen, 160 yards, two touchdowns and a pick. Not that impressive. James Cook rushed for 71 yards. Stephon Diggs, 10 catches, 100 yards, best part of the game. Uh, Morris, tight end, catches a touchdown, and Hardy, wide receiver, catches a touchdown. Their only catches of the game were touchdowns, so good for them. Giants, Tyrod Taylor throws for 200 yards. Saquon Barkley rushes for 93 yards. Leading wide receiver was Robinson. Can't even remember who he is. Darren Waller, five catches, 43 yards. You know what? This was a close game at the very end. Giants had one shot to win the game from the one-yard line, and they missed a throw to Darren Waller. He was covered very good. I've seen people say, hey, it could have been passer, Ferencino. You know what? They went like they had so many opportunities in the red zone on that final drive to score. Just couldn't get it done. Bills, they improved to 4-2. and two. Very good points, four points against 173 compared to 89. As for the Giants, tied for second worst in the NFC. Second worst in the league, actually. One in five, terrible offense, 71 points for... Wait a minute, do they have a worse offense than the... By one point, the Giants actually have a worse offense, 71 compared to 72. And they've given up 167 points. On a four-game losing streak, this Giants team might need to uh, consider... Entering the Caleb Williams sweepstakes, honestly. Terrible, terrible stuff from from the Giants. Oh my gosh. I don't even know what to make of. I don't even know what to make of that team. Just atrocious. Uh but then the uh, Bills, you know, uh, not the prettiest win, but a win's a win's a win, if that's how you wanna that's how you wanna phrase it. And you know, um Bills next week, they got a matchup. With the, um, I'm trying to think who it is. The Bills play the Patriots next week so they could get a win. And Giants, you know, the close one here against the Bills. They take on the, um, um. oh my gosh, who do the Giants take on next week? They take on the, I already had it right in front of me. The Commanders at home. There it is. Commanders. Uh, probably going to lose that game. I don't know, but yeah. It happens. It happens. No, it doesn't. The Giants team sucks. They Daniel Jones might need to move on from Daniel Jones. But yeah, not too bad of a week six. Kept me entertained at the noon games. Three thirty games were pretty good. But yeah, once you watch football all day, it does kind of get a bit uh, get a bit boring. Kind of does put me put me to sleep towards the end. But you know, that's just how it be, and that's why we're going to be getting into our surprise topic. Yeah, that's enough football talk. For the episode and our surprise topic. I don't know how many people are going to feel about this. But, um, you know, I actually, I read before bed. I always like to find a book of any kind and read it before bed. Tr- 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 kind of puts me out more, gets me in a more sleepy mood, if you will. And I recently read over the last month or whatever, The Hobbit. I read The Hobbit book, Hobbit by uh, J J J R Tolkien or whatever, J.J. J- Tolkien or whatever, Notable author, Hobbit, they made movies after them. Super good. And it's just one book compared to three movies. And I was always, I was just kind of curious. I was like, oh, what's the difference between the movies and the books? I've now read the book. I've obviously seen the movies multiple times. And I found this article by Screen Rant about The Hobbit 20 differences between the books. And the movies. And if you want to guess, that's going to be what we're going to go over. That's your surprise topic for the episode is what are some differences between the Hobbit book and the movies, in case you're curious. Because I certainly was watching the movie, and I'd be like, okay, that wasn't in the book. All right? So one thing that I just noticed right off the bat is that the movie is a lot of filler. A lot of filler. They wanted to make it more exciting, right, more cinematic. Whereas the book, you know, it's just a book. It's a story. It doesn't need any of that. Obviously, it has it, but it doesn't need it for the big screen. So we're going to go over uh, the uh, differences between The Hobbit book and the movies. Because The Hobbit was a trilogy in the movies, but it's only one book. All right? And it's a readable book, too. I'll say that. And we're going to just kick off with w- w- the first... If Okay, so basically you're going to probably find out about the book and the movie if you don't know about the story, but kicks off with one of the main differences is gandalf's reason for seeking out bilbo so main character bilbo baggins he's a hobbit hobbits are basically shorter humans with giant feet they don't even need to wear shoes and gandalf is a wizard so gandalf's reason for finding bilbo are different when looking at the hobbit book versus the movie in the novelization of the hobbit it is established that gandalf seeks out bilbo for the quest particularly because of a memory he had of his mother Quest, I'll mention in a moment. According to Gandalf, he was impressed by Belladonna Took, which is his mother, because of her adventurous spirit and personality, and he hoped that side would come out of Bilbo if he joined them on an adventure. In the film, Gandalf reminisces about knowing Bilbo as a young boy who adored the thought of danger, excitement, and adventure. The change isn't a huge one, but it does say a lot about Bilbo's character as he appeared in the book versus the film adaptation. Either way, it's an opportunity for Gandalf to deliver one of his best lines of the trilogy, which I don't I, I don't know what that quote is, but um, uh, you know, actually, let me let me, tr- let me try and find what the quote was. Um, Oh, it was, do you mean to wish me a good morning or are you saying it is a good morning, whether I want it or not? Yes, that's what it was. That was super funny. So the quest, basically, there's these dwarves, they want to go reclaim their mountain where a dragon took it over, took all their gold, killed their families and stuff. And Gandalf has his reasons for wanting to side with them and go to them. But they need someone to sneak in. They need, like, a thief. And that's what Bilbo is. He's a robber, a thief of sorts. Not really. He's actually a really nice guy. But he's just smaller and nimble and can fit in places. And that's what uh, Gandalf visits him about. Next up, we have The Dwarven Contract. So another one of the biggest differences between The Hobbit book and movie is The Dwarven Contract. The nature and details of The Dwarven Contract with Bilbo Baggins are never explicitly specified, which is why it's so comical to see the film version go on forever when unrolled. It was Jackson's way, the uh, director... I'm injecting some comedy into the film, especially at such an early start to the story. In the book, the contract is simply a note left on his mantle with two short paragraphs acting as content. That's a stark contrast to the film version and one of the few changes Jackson made that actually helped make the story better. So yes, there's a contract about him going with, and just mentioned briefly in the book, but in the movie he unrolls like a scroll and it just goes on forever, which I suppose isn't too big of a thing, but no, it's a difference nonetheless. Number three, Bilbo leaving Bag End. Bag End is uh, where he's from. Even the way that Bilbo leaves Bag End contrasts in the case of The Hobbit book versus movie. This change was small but noticeable and it occurs when Bilbo finally decides to make a go of it and join the dwarves on their adventure. In the film, he races after them with a backpack full of stuff and catches up with them before they get too far down the road. In the book, it is said that Bilbo left Bag End without even a handkerchief in his pocket. In truth, Jackson's change was probably for the best, as any hobbit would never run off without a few of the comforts of home. So yeah, but I mean, I don't understand how it would make it better if the author wrote it, I'm just saying. But yeah, not too big of a change, but I do remember in the book he like was debating it and then woke up late or something and rushed to get out there. So just a change, but nothing too much. Number four, the knowledge of the Necromancer. The Necromancer, one of the villains of sorts of the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which is like the Hobbits of Prequel to Lord of the Rings. Um, so Sauron is a mystery to those who only watched the movies, but changing Gandalf's knowledge of the necromancer arguably broke canon when it comes to the Hobbit book versus movie. In the Hobbit films, Gandalf learns of the necromancer when he speaks to Ragadask. Ragadask is another, um... Uh, what am I trying to say? Wizard, who, another uh, wizard, like Gandalf, which is what Peter Jackson, the director, used as the reason for Gandalf leaving Thorin, leader of the dwarves, and company. However, in the book, Gandalf is already well aware of the Necromancer. In the book, Gandalf has already visited Dolgamar, which is where, like, the evil spirits lay, and heard of the Necromancer, as it was there that he encountered Thran, the father of Thorin Oakenshield, and received the map and key that he later gave to Thoron. So Thorin, Oakenshield, leader of the dwarves the, of sorts, he's like the grandson of um the king of the dwarves, and his father Thrain was the leader before him, he perished when the dragon came, Sauron's like the big bad, um, him and Morgoth, they're like the big bads of Lord of the Rings, he's mentioned in this, and yeah. This was um, not really mentioned in the books at all. Ragged ask mentioned like once in the books, and they just kind of expand on that in the movie just to make it longer and get people's attention more. Uh, next up is Dwayne's beard. Dwayne is one of the dwarves, and in the book, he, uh, I don't even, yeah, let me just read what it says. Though it was not a massive change that impacted the plot, there was one element of Dwayne's appearance that classifies as one of the differences between the Hobbit book and movie, Interestingly enough, the book says it was a dwarf with a blue beard tucked into a golden belt and very bright eyes under his dark green hood. This is a stark, 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 stark? Is that the right word? Stark, stark, change from how Dwalin is shown in the movie with a brunette beard and dark eyes. While some readers have argued over the ages that it wasn't meant to literally be blue, others believe Dwalin's beard really was meant to be in that way in order to seem otherworldly. When the script was written for The Hobbit film, Jackson opted to take a lot out of the whimsy to make it more in line with the Lord of the Rings, meaning Dwayland's blue beard was one of the first things to go. Yeah, I agree with this. This is something that they do in the uh, Game of Thrones books compared to movies. The books, there's characters with more colorful hair, but in the show, they want to make it more um, realistic, if you will. Not so silly, because and, and I say the real word, but just like not in shows or movies or that. We don't really have like colored hair colored hair is more associated with like goofiness and stuff not really associated with like being stoic and heroic if you know what i mean number uh next up they're not actually numbered i was going with i was just reading off the headers and keeping track of the numbers and i forgot but next up is contacting the eagles for help so now we're gonna get into parts where if you don't know about it then um Actually, I'll try and explain. So basically, uh, I'll just read this. So another one of the biggest changes in the case of the Hobbit book versus movie sees Gandalf acting when he canically did not. When Azog and his orcs, like the guys who chase them throughout the movie, descend upon the party at the end of the first Hobbit film, Gandalf contacts Guhir, the Lord of the Eagles, via a carrier moth. This was done primarily to act as a nod to the first Lord of the Rings film where Gandalf escapes a pris- imprisonment. imprisonment, if I can do grammar, from the rooftop of Orthane in much the same way. I um, actually haven't seen the Lord of the Ring, Rings movies. I saw them once a long time ago, so I don't know what that scene's about. In the book, however, Gandalf never makes the attempt. Rather, Gwahir himself notices the wreck is from afar and soars through the skies to come to the rescue. It's hard to tell which version is better, but given Gandalf's relationship with the eagles, the film version is probably the better one, despite the small change made to Tolkien and Lord of the Rings canon. Yes, this was something I noticed. Um, so basically, um, in the book... They're being attacked by these, like, wargs and, like, goblins. Wargs are just giant wolves and goblins. And the eagles notice from a giant person. These are, like, giant eagles, you know, mythical eagles. And they come down. They rescue them. And that's that. But in the book, yeah, Gandalf, he, like, talks to, like, a butterfly or something. It flies off. And then just when you think everyone's going to die, these giant eagles swoop in and save the day. So, yeah, a change nonetheless. Next up, we had Thranduil's face. Thranduil is a um, notable character in the movies and the books. He's just simply called the Elven King. Uh, more key differences between the Hobbit book and movies, see Thranduil adding backstory that isn't in the novels. Interestingly, Thranduil is never referred to by name in the Hobbit book, but is simply called the Elven King. However, that's an even bigger difference between the text and the movie, which is Thranduil's burned face that he hides with magic thronduel triplets this to the fire servants in the north but this is not, that is not mentioned at all in the book nor is there any record of elves being able to hide old wounds or scars in this manner for that reason it was primarily added uh, to give Thranduil a more menacing and obsessive character even though he proves himself to be one of the most powerful heroes in the hobbit so yes he is uh, big in the movie but in the book you know he's just the elven king Next up, we have Tricking the Trolls. This was a notable scene. (laughs) The great The Hobbit book versus movie debate also sees a cunning act perpetuated by Bilbo originally belonging to Gandalf. In the Hobbit movies, it is Bilbo Baggins who cleverly tricks the trolls as they discuss the best ways to cook the dwarves. Basically, the dwarves run into some trolls and trouble happens. You know, old story stuff. Eventually, the sun rises and they are caught unaware, leading to their permanent demise of being frozen to stone. In the books, it is actually Gandalf who deceives the trolls by throwing his voice with magic, pretending to be one of them, and making them argue among themselves until dawn arrives and turns them to stone. In the films, Gandalf was not present during this scene. It was all Bilbo. It's not a huge change, and I'll say it doesn't really impact the story at all, but it's a change. Another one is The White Council. This one's big. This is really the movie adding scenes that were not in the book. Mentioned in the book, but not talked about in the book. Differences between the Hobbit book and movie also see the inclusion of the White Council. The Hobbit movies feature the White Council with both Saruman and Galadriel present in Elrond's home of Rivendell. These are all very notable characters in the Lord of the Rings movies and book. However, neither Saruman nor Galadriel are mentioned in the Hobbit book, as I just said. And the White Council does not meet during the narrative though this is different from the book it does act as fan service as it means that viewers get to see some of their more favorite characters from the lord of the rings movie trilogy as well as angst more depth and drama to the plot in truth however it was never this dramatic i will say towards the end of the hobbit book it's mentioned that when gandalf had to leave the dwarves he uh, was at the white council so they basically took that one line where it said gandalf was at the white council then they expanded it into a lot of scenes in the movies the length that is another big difference Arguably the most glaring change brought up in the Hobbit book versus movie debate is the length. The Hobbit is a rather short book, under 300 pages, especially in comparison to the intimidating size of Tolkien's Lord of the Rings trilogy, which in total is over 1,000 pages. The um, question remains as to why Jackson or the studio would ever think it was a good idea to flesh the story out across three films. By placing various amounts of filler in between established moments from the book, Jackson tried to fill in the blanks and create a stronger story, which I honestly I respect. In truth, the entire tale could have been told in two parts, avoiding unnecessary filler and focusing on a tight narratives. I, I kind of I like um, both perspectives where you either do two part one then two and you would break it up somewhere along there. Or you do three movies with a lot of filler and he basically just filled in scenes and everything kind of works together, though. Like you can watch the books and read the uh, you can watch the movies and read the book and everything will make sense. A change that is a, a good change, I'll say, is the prologue, the prologue to the story. One of the most welcome differences between The Hobbit book and movie was the addition of a prologue. The world of Lord of the Rings is particularly complex, which is why the prologue in Fellowship of the Ring was so effective. Audiences were given something very similar at the start of The Hobbit. Fellowship of the Ring is the first Lord of the Ring movie, by the way. And even though the Hobbit prologue didn't occur in the book, it did actually help establish the narrative moving forward. Middle-earth lore was built across many books with plenty of interesting details, only appearing in footnotes. With such a wellspring of detailed information, these prologues help create ex- exposition and further pull audiences into the magnificent fantasy world. So yes. Before the Hobbit movie, there is this prologue, basically tells how the dragon came into, um, oh my gosh, Eldorand or whatever, wherever the... Um, dwarves home is and took it over gives a bit about the characters and stuff i super i really enjoy the prologue it's one of my favorite parts about kicking off the movies Here's a huge one for you, and that is the presence of Raggedass the Brown, that wizard I mentioned earlier. In The Hobbit, Tolkien mentions the wizard Raggedass the Brown only a handful of times as one of the five wizards of Middle-earth. In the movies, Peter Jackson greatly expands his role, allowing the character to interact with the likes of Gandalf and Bilbo Baggins, while starring in his own scene in which he helps avert a group of goblins from catching up to the main characters. I mean, he had, he had such a big role in this film. My goodness, I, I swear I saw this guy all the time. But he was entertaining, so it wasn't like he was a, a bad ad. He also provides comic relief, yes, as an innocent, eccentric, and bubbling character who hides a deep, vast power, which is his wizard skills. The expanded story of ragged character is another welcome change in the Hobbit book versus movie debate. Obviously, these parts of his personality never came across through Tolkien's brief mention of his existence, but it was nice to see another wizard besides Gandalf and Saruman on Middle Earth. Another huge change was the presence of Toriel. Sometimes new characters work, but Toriel's addition is another one of the differences between The Hobbit book and movie that had audiences scratching their heads because of the way Jackson handled her arc. Played by Los Evangeline Lily, or um, the, uh, what's her name, Wasp from the MCU, Toriel is a character exclusive to the film adaption of The Hobbit, and she isn't in any of the Lord of the Rings films. The first The Hobbit movie or the book at any point. Oh, that was just, she's not in anything. This was one of the most controversial additions to the film trilogy and one many fans felt was unnecessary. She was seemingly created to provide a strong, relatable female character that doesn't really exist in the Hobbit book, and also the act is one part of a tragically romantic love saga between herself and the dwarven character, Killy. Yes, very sad. It also led to what seemed like a Hobbit plot hole due to her character's unfinished story arc. Yeah, kind of awkward, just a made-up character, and they didn't even finish her arc. They create an arc for her in the movies and don't even finish it. So yeah, kind of weird. Here's a huge one, which I noticed and I'm still torn on, and that's the presence of Azog. The topic of Azog, basically this, just a leader of the orcs, the evil people. The topic of Azog in the Hobbit book versus movie debate causes an issue as his presence in the film speaks to a timeline problem. The character of Azog is one of the most powerful villains in the Hobbit slash Lord of the Rings universe, and he does exist in Tolkien's established lore. But he was beheaded by the character Dane long before the events of The Hobbit took place. As such, the character was essentially lifted from the pages of Middle-earth history and deposited into the trilogy to act as a principal antagonist. With one arm missing, Azog Troop proved to be an effective and intimidating villain that could act as a counterweight to Thorin, Oakenshield's character. Yes. His story... um, was ended in suitable dramatic fashion during a final showdown between the two in the third and final film. However, some readers um, took umbrage that Azog was included as another antagonist when he didn't originally have a part in the central story of the Hobbit. Yeah, just a character they added just to provide. Basically in the books, the Hobbits just go on a journey and they face stuff along the way, but to make it more entertaining in the movies, they have Azog and his group of orcs chasing them. So I understand it. I'm not a huge nerd in the Lord of the Rings stuff, so I could kill less. The presence of Legolas, another huge change. One of the most debated negative differences between the Hobbit book and movie was the inclusion of Legolas. Peter Jackson wanted to establish some consistency between the Hobbit and Lord of the Rings, even if the former was a prequel. As such, audiences see Legolas appear in both the Desolation of Smog and the Battle of the Five Armies. However, Legolas doesn't appear in the book at all. And it feels as if he was deposited into the film trilogy as a way to bring back an audience favorite. In truth, he had little to overall story and in some cases actually deprived other characters of the limelight. I kind of agree, but he's a cool character and I still like him. And he's in The Lord of the Rings, which I gotta go rewatch at some point. The barrel scene. It might not be as important as many other differences between The Hobbit book and movie, but the barrel scene is nevertheless worth mentioning. When the dwarves escape the hall of the Elven King, a scene in both movie and book, they float down a river using barrels as boats. In the books, these are sealed rather than open with the characters sticking out. This allowed for a more visual connection to the scene. Okay. In the books, they're closed into the barrels. In the movies, they're out of the barrels. Okay, yeah. And uh, it also added more tension and excitement to the story by introducing a chaotic battle. Yes, there was a battle in the movies while they were escaping. As for the books, they just escaped. Here's a huge one. The dwarf deaths. That's right. One of the most heated points of debate in the case of the Hobbit book versus movie has to do with Keeley, Philly, and Thorin. One piece of storyline consistency between The Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings is the death of Keeley, Felian, Thorin. However, the manner in which they died in the movies quickly became a point of contention among readers of Tolkien's works. The movies show the three being slaughtered rather brutally during a fight with Azog and his orcs. The book finds them charging into a battle that they know they won't survive, dying as brave heroes as a result. But you know that that's just how it is. You know how it is. That's Hollywood. They want that effect, they want the sadness. And you know what? It didn't bother me too much. It certainly made me appreciate the characters more, especially Thorne's death. The Frodo cameo, another change. More scrupulous readers of Tolkien's works were a little put off by Frodo's inclusion in the Hobbit book versus movie debate. It can be argued that one of the more pointless moments in The Hobbit was Elijah Wood's cameo appearance as Frodo Baggins. It occurred when Bilbo told him a very rough version of his original adventures. Since Tolkien would not write The Lord of the Rings until many years after The Hobbit, Frodo was not even a concept. But you know what? That change does not bother me so much. Even though it's worth noting it's a change, I will say it was kind of, you're like, oh, that's Frodo. You know that character. In fact, Tolkien's version of this was the reverse, something that only further upset readers. At the start of The Fellowship of the Ring, it is likely that the opening scene of the Shire was built around the aging Bilbo in order to glean some connection to the previously released Hobbit book. Therefore, it wasn't worth bringing Frodo into the Hobbit films at all, and the cameo felt similar to what Jackson was trying to accomplish with including Legolas. Makes sense. Another change, the history of Sting. The act of Bilbo finding, choosing, and naming his sword Sting was an important piece of development for the character, given its status as one of the most iconic weapons of Tolkien's works. Tolkien, the author, of course, creator of The Lord of the Rings and Hobbit world. Of course, this also turns out to be one of the biggest differences between the Hobbit book and movie. In the movie, he is simply given it, given it by Gandalf after, after the wizard finds it on the floor of the troll horde. That was chasing them. The entire scene of the company finding the dwarven weapon seems a bit lazy in comparison to the books. It was more of a convenient way to establish the presence of the blades with very little exposition or attention given to each of them. Okay. Not really a huge difference. Um, How many more do we got? Oh, this is our final one. Our final one for differences between the Hobbit books and movies. And that is Bilbo's age difference. One of the biggest issues audiences had about the Hobbit trilogy was the changing of lead actor Ian Holm to Martin Freeman. This wasn't due to a dislike of the latter, but rather a complete contradiction of Bilbo's character from the books. And by far the biggest sin cited in the Hobbit book versus movie debate is clearly established that Bilbo's possession of the one ring, which if you didn't know, Bilbo comes into possession of a ring and the rings is, I mean, the Lord of the Rings, There, it's important. Um, And when he comes into possession of it, it helps him maintain a youthful appearance for decades after finding it. Yet the stark contrast and physicality between the two actors pretty much robs the story of that fact and creates a gaping plot. Hell yeah, I will say I did notice that, but uh, it didn't bother me that much because I just don't care that much. But yeah, those are some differences between the Hobbit books and movies. And um, yeah, if you are fascinated by any of that stuff, I encourage you to read the book and watch the movies. And that, by the way, I'm going to be Reading the Lord of the Rings books, I have it. it I'm, the library says it wants it returned by November third. Definitely gonna have to extend my stay with it because I'm not finishing it before then. But um, yeah, then we'll have to I'll have to watch the movies and then do this again with the Lord of the Rings books versus the movies. But yeah, super entertaining. Love the book. Movies also so good. I encourage everyone to watch it. But yeah, super interesting. Always looking at movies and books on the differences that happened between the author and the director i'm you know what i i'm always i I would say i'm more of a movie guy but honestly i'm more of a book guy i mean i think about the maze runner series think about the game of thrones i kind of prefer the books at times but then the movies offer some good stuff the tv series for the game of thrones so it's pretty much the content i'll say and um yeah that's that and uh we're now on to our final thing the final part of every episode almost every episode when there's ufc on you know we're either reviewing or previewing and coming up next we will be reviewing ufc vegas 81 it was entertaining the fight night between sody Yusuf and edson barbosa we're gonna go through every fight talk about my picks that's gonna be super exciting stick around for that but actually you know I'm just going to snap my fingers, and I'll be right back. Because so i got to go do something, as always. But then when I come back, we'll be getting right to it. And we are back for the final segment of this episode. That's right. Reviewing UFC Vegas 81. I did terrible, as I mentioned, on the main card. 0 for 5. 0 for 5 for the first time ever on my main card predictions. It sucks. It was, it was a matter of time before it happened, but still i did predict four fights right on the prelims though so at least i didn't go a whole ufc card without getting one fight um picked correctly but these were all my official picks and they were all zero and five which sucks so on the year now we're 116 correct 69 wrong how about that and then all time 487 correct 346 wrong let's cover all fights that went down kicking us off we had a woman's strawweight matchup between emily dakote and uh, ashley yoder and Emily Dakota gets the unanimous decision victory. She outstruck her 117 to 102, significant wise. Landed a takedown. And yeah, you know, Ashley Yoder um, actually had more. Uh, actually, this is super weird. When you click on someone's name on the UFC stats page, it shows like, the stats in like the wrong order i don't know how to explain it. but yes emily decote getting a victory here good win for her snapping a two-fight losing streak actually as for ashley Elder, she's now on a three-fight losing streak one in five her last six fights she's probably getting cut soon but good win for emily decote and i predicted she would win by unanimous decision so i got that right Next up we had a men's bantamweight matchup between uh Alatengue and number fifteen men's bantamweight, Chris Gutierrez. And Chris Gutierrez gets the unanimous decision victory. Good win for Chris. Outstrikes Alatengue in every single round. Thirty-five to seven in round one, so pretty dominant. Round three, Alatengue started mixing in some takedowns, trying to get something going for him. No uh, to no avail. Chris outstrikes him 115 to 39 at the end of the fight. Good win for you, Chris. This uh, wow. Chris is now five and one. Actually, Chris is now has only two losses now in the UFC. Wow. Good good job, Chris Alatenge. Um, just lost his two fight losing streak. So yes, Alatenge did take this on short notice. So good on him. But it's Chris Gutierrez is walking away with the victory, and he was ranked 15th. In men's bantamweight, the number 14 guy lost, he got finished. So I think Chris will move up to 14 in the men's bantamweight rankings. And honestly, I think Chris Gutierrez versus anyone would be a good fight. So I don't really have anyone in mind. Maybe Ricky Simone would be a good fight for him, but good one for Chris. Women's bantamweight was up next, and it was um, – actually, I didn't catch this fight in particular, but Melissa Dixon um, on short notice um, undefeated. 6-0 and now. Steps down short notice and beats Irina Alexiva by unanimous decision. Good win for her. Got dropped in round one. Irina outstruck her as well. And after that, she was able to somehow bounce back. Round two outstrikes her 24-10. to Had three minutes and four, three seconds of control time with no takedowns. I assume it was a lot of cage pressure. Round three strikes are thirty-one to thirteen. Arena landed one takedown, but uh, Melissa had three minutes of control time. So Melissa Dixon, proving now to six and zero UFC debut. Arena Alexiva, um one and one now in the UFC. <laughs> Lastly, women's bantamweight. Let's get her in the rankings. Melissa Dixon, have her fight number fifteen or number fourteen ranked women's bantamweight. Chelsea Chandler, Jos- Josie Nunes. I don't really care. But you know what? Good for you, Melissa. I'm happy for you. You're undefeated now in the UFC. And you just gotta win. How about it? Someone who should have gotten a performance of the night bonus. Up next is Terrence McKinney. He starches Brendan Moreaute in 20 seconds. Hits him with a knee, then lands some follow-up punches, and he was out of there before you could even blink your eyes. You we're like, whoa, this is actually happening. Terrence McKinney. Absolute dog. Terrence McKinney is now 15 and 6, 21 professional fights. None have ever gone the distance. That's incredible, Terrence. Two-fight winning streak now for him. Two-fight round one TKOs. All right, Brendan Morote stepped in on short notice. We appreciate you, Brendan, but you are not UFC Galber. You got to go. He's got to go. As for Terrence, I mean, heck, this guy can fight anyone. I don't care who Terrence fights. I mean, he's originally supposed to fight. Oh, who is he supposed to fight? I can't even think. I think it was um Duncan someone. He called out someone. Chris Duncan or something. I know he's from, like, the European countries. But, yeah, I think he called him out for UFC 295. Let's make that fight. Two good unranked lightweights. Terrence McKinney, 22nd knockout. Incredible. Once Bantamweight was up next as Tainera Lisboa beat Ravina Oliver. Oh, by the way, I predicted Terrence McKinney round one knockout. I'll just give myself a do, if you will. And I did predict this next fight wrong. I thought Ravina Oliveira would win, but now Tanera Lisboa beats Ravina Oliveira by unanimous decision. Tanera Lisboa improving to 7-2, and 2-0. Two, in two and oh. and the UFC now, as Ravina Oliveira falls to 7-2 and two and 1 with a draw. Tell of the fight, I mean, 18 significant strikes to 15 in favor of Tanera. Te- 77-61 to 60, total strikes. Three takedowns for Tanera, two for Ravina. Almost seven minutes of control time for Tanera. Uh, just over, f- almost five and a half for Ravina. So this was a grappling affair. Uh, round one, Tenera outstruck her eight to, uh, 28 to 19. Significant wise, 8 to 4. There's like no significant fight stru- fights. Uh, significant strikes. Gosh, I'm getting my words mixed up. Thrown in this fight, um, Ravina getting some more control time. But round two, just domination, Tenera. Four minutes and 47 seconds of control time on one takedown. Ravina didn't even land a significant strike. Round three, though, Ravina landed 11 to eight more significant strikes, 34 to 15 more total strikes. Landed a takedown for three minutes of control time, but it was to no avail Tanera Lisboa getting the victory. And honestly, have her fight Melissa Dixon. You know, two women's weights. they won decisions on this card. Let's have them fight. Why not? I don't really care. Our featured prelim was my—I f- can't believe this. I actually predicted— Darren Elkins to win by rear naked chokehold in round three submission on the last episode of the podcast. And even though I went 0-5 on the main card, I predicted this correctly. I'm still happy with myself. Darren the Damage Elkins beats T.J. Brown. T.J. Brown had more significant strikes, 15 to 11. Total strikes, 95 to 45 in favor of Darren. Darren goes 5 for 8 on takedowns for eight minutes of control time. T.J. Brown 2 for 2 on takedowns for a minute and a half of control time. Didn't catch this fight either, but I mean, uh, round one, Darren two for two on takedowns, three and a half minutes of control time, fifty-three to eleven. total strikes was going for takedowns clearly. Round two, uh, Darren same same plan, three for five on takedowns, two minutes forty-nine seconds of control time. T.J. Brown did have more strikes, but Darren was just going for takedowns. And in round three, Darren didn't even land a takedown. Just found his way to the mat. Was able to get a submission. And Darren Elkins gets the victory. This guy's almost 40 years old. Guys, getting victories in the UFC. As for TJ Brown, he is now on a two-fight losing streak. Uh, not impressive at all. What is he in the UFC? He's three and three and five in the UFC. Yeah, he, they should cut him. But Darren, keep Darren around. He's entertaining. And we'll get into this main card. I have no excitement whatsoever. I went 0 and five on my picks. Makes me super sad. But you know. That's just how it goes. Let's kick us off as Christian Rodriguez beat Cameron Samen. This was kind of an upset. I mean, Cameron Samen was nine and zero undefeated. Now nine and one. Crazy. Christian Rodriguez now has killed two hype trains in a row: Raul Rosas Jr. and Cameron Samen. He's also on a three-fight winning streak. Impressive stuff. Three and one in the UFC. Only losses to Jonathan Pierce. Um, so tail the fight. I mean, Christian outstruck him, outgrappled him. Pretty much everything. I mean, round one, Cameron had more strikes, but it just wasn't wasn't enough. Christian was just doing better. I mean, landed a takedown from what I can see here. I didn't catch his fight, by the way. Uh round two though, Christian. landing more on the takedowns, outstriking him. Same thing in round three. Turned up the pace, but not enough for Cameron Samen. As Christian Rodriguez gets it done. Good for you, Christian. I'll give you your props. This was at Bantamweight. But yeah. I really thought Cameron Samen was good, man. That sucks, Cameron. You know, but Cameron's young, he's twenty two years old, he'll bounce back. Next up, one of the more shocking moments of the night, earning himself a performance bonus as Michelle Pajera starches Andre Petrovsky in a minute and six seconds. I cannot believe when I read that, I was when I saw a Twitter notification pop up that said that, I was in tears. I love Andre Petrovsky, but not anymore, I guess. I guess I guess Michelle Pajera has just killed his hype. Snapped a five fight winning streak for Andre Petrovsky. But as for Michelle Pajera. extended his to six. Six fight winning streak now for Michelle Pajera, And this was up in weight at middleweight. How about that? Um, But yeah, minute and six seconds in, Michelle lands one punch, knocks him down, lands some follow-up. So that was that. Michelle Pajera, welcome to the middleweight division. I love it, man. I love it. And he was supposed to fight um, Oh, who was Michelle Pereira supposed to fight? I'm trying to think. I'm mind-blanking. This his, his fight was canceled. He was supposed to fight Marc-Andre Barayut, and Marc-Andre Barayut pulled out and is now fighting Chris Curtis. So, yes, that came back to me. But, yeah, good win for Michelle. Happy for him. Uh, when we look at the middleweight division, we have a uh, number 15-ranked Anthony Hernandez without a fight. I'd like to see Anthony Hernandez. Oh, number 14, Andre Munez. Him and Anthony might have fights booked, but I'd like to see them fight uh, uh, Michelle Pera at some point because Michelle, six-fight winning streak, Good for him. As for Andre, you'll bounce back. You'll bounce back, my boy. Heading into a ranking fight next in uh, men's band weight as number fourteen, Adrian Yanis took on number thirteen, Jonathan Martinez, and I'll be damned, I'll be damned, Jonathan Martinez, getting it done. Surprising me, you know, he he was able to out kickbox Adrian Yanis. Adrian Yanis is one of the best boxers in the UFC. Maybe not though. Got finished his last two fights, but in his previous fights, he had looked good. That's for Jonathan Martinez. Absolutely tore apart the leg of Adrian Yanez, dropped them in rounds one and two with leg kicks, um, outstruck him 36 to 20. I mean, Jonathan Martinez finishes him in round two with a leg kick TKO. Adrian Yanez couldn't even continue. Oh, man, I got a feel for Adrian Yanez, man. He was on, he was 5-0 in the UFC coming off the Contender Series and is now on a two-fight losing streak. It's tough, man. It's a tough business let's speak about Jonathan Martinez don't blink at all Jonathan Martinez on a six fight winning streak two of those fights leg kick TKOs incredible incredible stuff man Jonathan Martinez been grinding it out since 2018 I love to see it man and he was ranked 13 he beat the number 14 guy the number 12 guy all right had um Got knocked out earlier this year. So I'd say we bumped Jonathan Martinez up to the number 12 spot in the rankings. As I already mentioned, I think Chris Gutierrez should pass Adrian Giannis from 15 to 14 in the men's bantamweight rankings. Excellent win for Jonathan Martinez. What's next for him? I don't know. Maybe Pedro Munoz, Dominic Cruz. He could fight Rob Font. He could fight Song Dong. I don't care. Jonathan Martinez. Get him in the top 10. As for Adrian Yanis, You'll be taking on an unranked um, bantamweight fighter. Yeah, without a doubt heading into our co-main event of the night. We had a women's flyweight matchup between number nine ranked Jennifer Maya and number 11 Viviana Rujo. And I shouldn't known that, um, you know, Vivian was on a two-fight losing streak, Jennifer on a two-fight winning streak. It's women's MMA that Vivian was going to win. But yeah, Viv- Viviana Rujo wins by unanimous decision. Not much to say. I mean, round one, Jennifer Maya outstrikes her 28-14. to 14. Wins round one, but then round two, Vivian goes two for two on takedowns, four and a half minutes of control time. Just dominates her on the mat, up on the cage. Round three, same thing. Uh, but Jeff actually had more significant strikes, 17 to eight. Two for three on takedowns. I don't really know what happened in round three. I didn't catch this fight. But you now Viviana Rujo sneaks out with a unanimous decision. I should actually check the verdict scorecard. It's one of the things I can... Love about verdicts that you can just go look at fights and see how the people scored them. And globally wise, people gave Jennifer Maya round one and round two. Vivian Arujo round no, they gave Jennifer Maya round one, Vivian Arujo round two. Round three was close; more people scored it for Jennifer Maya, but total score at the end of the fight was for Vivian Arujo. Super confusing, um, but yeah, Vivian Arujo getting it done, snapping a two-fight losing streak. Jennifer Maya lost her two five losing streaks. So Jennifer Maya will probably fall down to the number 11 spot in the women's flyweight rankings. Viviana Rujo will bump up to nine. Good win for both of them. Uh, good win for both of them. Not a good win. No no one's stock rolls in this fight. sometimes I just think I'm saying things but nothing good to say here. I'll tell you what was good even though even though my guy lost. The main event, Sodiq Yusuf versus Edson Barbosa earns Fight of the Night honors, and it's definitely in the Fight of the Year competition. This was one of the craziest main events I watched, and uh, you know what, I'll admit it because it was in the past. I watched it driving home. I had it propped up on my dashboard. But you know what, I made it home safely. I'm here to record this podcast, so clearly I made it. But yes, oh my gosh, this was an insane fight. It's one of the craziest fights I've watched. So let's kick it off. Round one, Sodiq Yusuf comes out the gate on fire, destroys Edson Barbosa, lands a knockdown, 42 to 13 significant strikes, 55 to 14 total strikes, lands a takedown for three minutes and 15 seconds of control time, probably 10 8 him in round one. It was a crazy good round for Sodi Yusuf. Super impressive stuff. Man, I thought Edson was out of there. Round two, uh, that was my prediction. I had Sodi Yusuf round two knockout. I was like, this is so going to happen. Round two though, Sodique still outstriking Edson. All right, forty-three to thirty-three, significant wise, forty-two to thirty-one. But Edson getting back in it. You know, he might have actually won round one on one of the judges' scorecards. He won round two. On the other two, uh, he had lost this round. But yes, I I personally uh, did have it two and zero round wise for Sadiq Yusuf heading into round three, and round three. Edson was just back in his zone, outstriking Sodiq and landed a spinning wheel kick, which knocked down Sodiq Yusuf. I have no idea how Sodiq Yusuf survived this. It was incredible. Excellent job by Sodiq Yusuf. But man, oh man, Edson Barbosa was back in the fight. Round four kicks off. Edson just outstriking him. 48 to 39, 47 to 35 significant wise. Edson was on fire. And just like that, it was either two and two or three and one for Edson Barbosa. He was back in this fight. Round five, it was competitive. So Deke was still swinging. I mean, 41 to 40 total strikes in favor of Edson, 41 to 30 significant strikes in favor of Edson. And Edson Barbosa landed three takedowns for a minute and 38 seconds of control time just to kind of end the fight. And just like that, Edson Barbosa gets the unanimous decision victory. What an upset for Edson Barbosa. This man is 37 years old. He's beat up and comer. Wow. Edson Barbosa... Ranked number 13, just beat the number 11 guy. He'll move to the number 11 spot in the UFC rankings, so he'll either move to number 12 or number 13 spot in the rankings. Wow, Edson Barbosa, what a comeback. Thought he was out of there in round one. He rallies, comes back, wins the fight. Here's your totals for the end of the fight. Uh, Edson Barbosa, uh, one knockdown, 164. Significant strikes, three takedowns. Sodiq Yusuf, one knockdown, 178. Significant strikes, one takedown. Edson Good win for you. I'm happy for you. That's a little two-fight winning streak now for Edson Barbosa. How about that? Performance bonuses in both of those. Good win. And that was the fight night. That was the fight night. There were some good moments. Edson Edson, and Sodique, good moment there. Jonathan Martinez's leg kicks. Michelle Pereira knockout. And Terrence McKinney, 22nd knockout. I mean, good stuff all around. But with that, that brings us to an end. And Looming, looming this Saturday. Oh, it's gonna be a good weekend, boys. I can feel it. As we have UFC 294 is on Makachev versus Alexander Volsky to the rematch between champs. Oh my gosh, this is gonna be insane. Also, in the co-main event, Kamaru Usman and Hamza Chamayev. Insane stuff. Oh my gosh, I can't wait to cover this whole card this upcoming Thursday. That's when the next episode will be dropping. It's gonna be so much fun. Oh, for my diehards, Magomed al versus Johnny Walker in the light heavyweight division. Top five light heavyweights there. Ikram Al-Khassarov, Wal-Rey Alves, that should be a good fight. Saeed Nurmagomedov versus Muin Gafarov, good fight. Tim Elliott, Mohamed Mokayev, Trevor Peek, Mohamed Yaya. Just every fight on this card is so stacked. I cannot wait to watch it. I think it starts at like 9 in the morning too, so we're going to get up and get active right away. But uh, yeah, that's for later in the week, all right? I got to chill. I got to chill Um, I forgot to mention who I think should be next for these guys. Sotik Youssef should probably take on an unranked competitor or even, like, number 15, ranked like Leroy Murphy. But as for Edson Barbosa. I mean, you're not ranked 11. You're looking up. You do hold a loss to the number 10, number 8, and number... Uh, it's kind of some upper-level guys. But that's for Edson Barbosa. I think fight with maybe uh, Calvin Cater could be in the cards for him. Or uh, maybe someone like Mosvar-Evloff. We'll see. We'll see. But Goodwin... Forum, man, what a crazy card! You know, just like the card comes to an end, this episode comes to an end. This was a fun one. I enjoyed this one. Talking a little bit about NFL, a little bit of boxing, a little bit about the Hobbit, books and movies, and of course, UFC. Always here to uh, surprise you and jab you. That's my job, it's just to surprise and jab everyone, I suppose. So, um, but yeah, um, follow my company, Evergrowing Co. I really appreciate it. Just a follow, I mean, you can unfollow in december all right literally when like the semester is over but um, i would appreciate that follow me on my other socials reach out to me if you want to be a guest on the show if you have any ideas for segments or stuff let me know guys thank you so much for listening i appreciate everyone who listens i look at the, i look at the analytics i look who listens and i just want to say thank you guys so much have an amazing week it's monday when you listen to this it'll probably be tuesday or wednesday so you kick this weekend's butt all right have an amazing week guys i'll catch you next time